Alex Makarovsky is a 2019 Commonwealth Bank John Monash Scholar. He has a Master's of Mathematical Modeling and Scientific Computing and is using equations to help solve the world's looming energy problems as we move towards a net zero economy. For his scholarship, he studied at Oxford University in the UK and he's recently back in Australia. Alex, welcome to the program. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much, Justin. So you're joining us from Adelaide, South Australia this morning. Has that always been home for you? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, born and raised in Adelaide and I uh, worked here for a couple of years and I'm uh, looking forward to working here for another few years to come. Okay, so you're, you're freshly back home from the UK. Did you have to quarantine upon coming home? Yes, I did uh, two weeks of quarantine in the uh, Howard Springs facility in the Northern Territory. Okay. Um, yeah, so to be honest, actually, I found it very relaxing. I needed a, <laughs> needed some sleep after finishing my dissertation at Oxford. So um, the staff were very professional and getting, getting some sun and fresh air in Howard Springs. They have little verandas um, in, yeah. in, the, in the setups in, in Howard Springs. And uh, staff, staff were extremely professional. Um, yeah, so I found it more than manageable, which was, um, which was great. So what, what, what was it like up there? In some ways it, it's, it's, it feels kind of surreal because, you know, there are, there are police and, and of course lots of staff that are walking around in, in all sorts of, of PPE. So you feel, you feel unclean, even though, you know, you, you know, that the vast, vast majority of people are, are, are fine and so on. But, mm. um, um, so it definitely kind of has that institutional vibe, I, I guess you, you could say, but, um. Uh, you, look, I think everyone sort of understand, uh, under, understood rather um, what, what was happening. Um, yeah, there was a um, there was actually a thunderstorm uh, on, on on day seven, so about about halfway through, um, and they texted everyone saying that there was a chance we'd lose power. And um, <laughs> yeah. the, ti- the, the timing the timing was most unfortunate because I had I had the defence of my uh, my dissertation, so the last hurdle of my Oxford degree that was scheduled for. Uh, an hour later, so. <laughs> uh, but, and then the but, heavens opened. Yeah, exactly. But I was uh, really quite fortunate that, that you know the power managed to stay on. I was able to sort of do my defence uh, over Teams um, with the various professors and so on from Oxford. So you did all of that from quarantine in the Northern Territory. From quarantine, that's right. Yeah. So they, they had to work it out with with the time zones and that kind of thing. So I think it was about seven or eight o'clock at night uh, in, in, in quarantine. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning over, over in the UK for, for the professors. Are you allowed, when you're in quarantine, are you allowed to move around at all? Or once you're in your cabin, like that's it, you can't, you can't move. You've got your veranda and that's about it. It's pretty much just the veranda. So I was, yeah. um, you can go on the veranda and sort of um, do a little bit of exercise. Like, yeah, did quite a lot of um abs and legs and that kind of thing there on the veranda, just getting some sun in the mornings, trying to keep a bit of a schedule, I think is good for avoiding uh, going crazy. <laughs> and um, yeah. Um, yeah, then you can, the only other really place you're able to kind of walk around is if you're going to the, the laundry room every every couple of days. Um, yeah, you can go, go and mm. do your washing. Um, but apart from that, you're pretty much just in your veranda and in your room. Did you meet any veranda buddies across <laughs> across the hall? I did actually, yes, because because they were in. So the buildings were kind of in in pods of four, so yeah. four rooms, and then opposite that was another pod of four. So you, um, yeah, so you're able to kind of if you're sitting on the veranda, there might be sort of especially around dinner time, there might be kind of four or five other people where you can have mm. a have a bit of a good chat with, and some really interesting stories from the people around me. Like some people that had had their flights cancelled, like 
four or five times. Uh, another another uh, lady was was working um, for the NHS when COVID was really really ramping up in, in the UK. So um, yep. so some great some great stories. Um, and yeah, re- I think having those conversations as well is also great for keeping people's mental health. Um, during quarantine. I bet. So when you were doing the defense of your dissertation, how nerve wracking is that knowing that you've, uh, you've put so much into it and you've now got to um, defend it all in front of some pretty smart people? It was definitely nerve wracking. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's a soul alive that can tell you going through that an experience like that wasn't um, at least nerve wracking in, in, in some way. Um, I think you just have to, to a certain extent, you do have to just kind of place a little bit of faith in, in your supervisors and, um, and your course mates as well. So I, I was really fortunate to, to have some, some, some really close, uh, course mates. And so we would, um, before we had, uh, presentations or something like that at Oxford, we would kind of, we would often practice in front of each other. And so okay. in particular, yeah, in particular, a really close mate, mate, mate of mine, we, um, we called, um, yeah, four or five days prior and just sort of uh, worked through different sections of our dissertation and brainstorms ideas, they could say. And so you just try and prepare yourself as, as best you can. Um, put some faith in your supervisor that they've, um, you know, because if you were to, if you had actually presented something that was really quite substandard, I think it, it would it would kind of reflect on them a little bit as well. Yes, um, yes. So, so, yeah, you just have to have some faith in the system there try and put on a smile and a nice shirt on the day and that's all you can do really so um yeah <laughs> hope for so, the best yeah that's right exactly right i had to go for a pattern shirt because i couldn't iron anything else in quarantine but i don't think they noticed so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't think you're gonna you're gonna get marked down because of your wardrobe no ho- hopefully not exactly exactly yeah so have you have you finished now or is it all is it all done it is all done yeah which it, it feels it just feels surreal it just feels um like a pass in, in a blink of an eye, you know, there was just an immense amount of, uh, the, it was a very, it was a very big year when, 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 it went, mm. you know, when some of my friends asked me about it, I just think about, wow, I didn't know any of those people that I now consider my really, really close friends a year ago. You know, I didn't know mm. all these different kinds of techniques and, um, and programming skills that, that you are kind of really picked up and developed during the course uh, a, a year ago. So I definitely think I came a long way um, in, in terms of technically and learning about the course and all these, and just a whole life experience as well, you know, living in another country. Um, yeah, that was also something that was quite different for me for a prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, not to mention, of course, uh, the, 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 the pandemic, you know, the, through, through the bad times and the good times in the UK, it just... Uh, there were really bad months and months when, you know, like seeing, seeing those really special times, you know, being able to kind of go catch up with, with people outdoor again for the first time in a beer garden, you know, when, when the UK opened, those kinds of, exactly. uh, yeah, the, the first time we could kind of see each other in the, in the Maths Institute after, um, after, after the big lockdown in, in the winter of, uh, so January, January, February, 2021. Um, yeah, re- really special times. Well, let's talk about that. You were... Um, in the UK, studying at Oxford, obviously in the grip of the pandemic, give us some insights as to what that was like. Yeah, it, it was it, it was it was really it was really incredible. So um, definitely, so it, it went through good times and, and bad times. So when I first arrived in the UK, uh, the thing I, if I remember correctly, the UK was getting about three thousand five hundred cases a day across the whole nation. Which is, per, per capita is really is really not a lot, you know. Especially you know you can think about 
Um, just Victoria alone is getting the best part of 2000. And obviously, the UK is a much bigger population. So, so really, when I first arrived, um, there was not a lot of COVID transmission going around. Yes. However, um, I think as the um, as the weather got colder, uh, you know, viruses, to my understanding, live live a bit longer in colder weather, mm. and people spending more yeah. time indoors and so on. Um, the numbers began to accelerate, and so there was about 30 or 40,000 cases a, a day, sort of by um, by by December. Um, yeah, some someone in my my uh, my household. Um, unfortunately tested positive and so we had to isolate uh for for two weeks which was had its own which was very stressful i might add (laughs) Um, yeah it was definitely um it definitely yeah so i remember he um he sent a message to our sort of our house group chat as it were and then um, no one yeah exactly and no one um this guy was, was 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 quite quiet, and so no one really, because you know he'd told us about the test and everything, but no, he basically went to the lab and, and Tesco, so we weren't really too concerned. But then um, when he said it was positive, yeah, it was. I was in the middle of this like uh, linear algebra, numerical linear algebra tutorial at the time, and I remember just having absolutely no. As you do. Yeah, I was. I just remember absolutely just. I couldn't concentrate at all at what what the tutor. I think the tutor asked my asked what I thought about a question at one point, and I said, "Look, I'm sorry, I'm just a little bit distracted right now." <laughs> it was just, um, you know, because you think I might you, have yeah. been exposed to a, a deadly virus. Yeah, exactly. You know, you just think about, um, but obviously, like logistically, it's it's kind of cancelling all the, you know, all, all the plans you had for the two weeks. Um, I was very fortunate, you know, no one else in the house tested positive, um, which was great. So he did a really good job of, of isolating himself. And, uh, and we also set up um, like a schedule for all the shared spaces in the house. And then so he would mm. go right at the end of the day and kind of leave everything open and ventilated. But it was scary. You know, it's um, especially, mm. I think, especially living, living in Australia. Um, our, like I speak to lots of my friends and, you know, they say, look, that we'd, we'd hardly know anyone if, if, we, if, if they know anyone that, that has ever had it. And, you know, I could name, yeah, probably a dozen, two dozen people in Oxford, uh, friends of mine that, that got it while I was over there. So um yeah that was, was quite scary how how did it affect um your your studies obviously apart from uh being uh, locked down for a couple of weeks um did it did it impact the way you attended classes and and learned yeah so so oxford's oxford's academic year is divided into those three terms and then the summer and so my program also, also ran across the summer so the, the first time michaelmas we were quite lucky because the numbers numbers started out from quite a low base um, so we, we were able to have some lectures in person and then our tutorials in person. So that was, we were basically, there was a, a lecture hall, which normally seats about 200 and we would sort of be in there with, you know, at most 20 people and all kind mm-hmm. of spread out and with masks. And so the first time was really, um, we were quite lucky. And then there was a room in the mathematical Institute, which was sort of just, just for our master's program. And we could meet up and kind of collaborate on some whiteboards there or, or mask stuff and so on. So that was, and I think that was really, really pivotal that we did have some face-to-face time because we could sort of meet up and 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 bond, uh, and really sort of develop. Because mathematics is it's it's not a as as much as people think sometimes that you know it's not an individual pursuit at all. And there's lots of um, there really is a lot collaboration. of collaboration. Yes, it's a very collaborative di- discipline, and especially um, especially with the pace of the material that we'd covering that we were covering some of the um you'd look at some of the problem sheets and there would be you, you know how to do sort of two or three questions out of about eight or nine and then <laughs> you know and it, you, your mate would know another two or three and then you sort of meet up and collaborate and then eventually you, someone else would figure out another one so it was a very collaborative discipline and yeah. then the and then the second term um so killery so 
the numbers in the UK really got quite quite high over over, over winter in January or February, so sort of in excess of sixty thousand a day. And uh, the vaccine program had started, but by no means was was uh, was as advanced as it is now. So mm. there were you know there were several hundred. I think it's some days even more than a thousand people passed away. So that was really um, so everything was moved online. That's awful. Yeah, it was it was really quite hard. Um, but so but but fortunately, because we'd kind of made those relationships in the first term, yeah, I felt quite comfortable, you know, calling friends on Teams, and we would kind of call once or twice a day just to kind of uh, collaborate. And I think that we got through some some really some really dark times uh, like that, building mm. those relationships in the first term. And then from from about April and 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 May, the 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 vaccination vaccination program in the UK had really advanced quite a bit, and um, and, and things were better. We were back in the Maths Institute. Uh, the days were just sunnier as well, so people's mood was better, I guess. Um, yeah, it's always the, nice when the sun comes out, especially yes. in England. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I didn't, you know, it was not something I was quite quite prepared for as well. But especially growing up, growing up in Adelaide, it's always normally quite sunny here, even in winter. Yeah. But um, but but yeah, the COVID definitely had a, had a second wind uh, with Delta, and Ox, Oxford was uh, Oxford was leading. I think they were leading all the UK counties in terms of per capita infections um, mm. for, for, for a few weeks there. Um, so that, that was also there were, the UK government deployed these testing vans just on the side of streets. And so you could just walk around as I was walking to the Mass Institute, you could drop into the van and get a, get a test. And then, yeah, so because it was a little bit quick, of a quick little COVID test. Yeah, literally, literally. Yeah. So it was, that was a little bit of a, a perfect storm, I think, because obviously the, the vaccinations, uh, were rolled out sort of in descending order of need, so that is uh, in, in descending age, and then so for the university towns and populations, it meant that yeah. a lot of the young people had um, were often were some of the last to be vaccinated, and especially these um, especially uni students who um, were, were really kind of I think quite starved, and some of the undergrads you know were really quite keen to, to meet and mingle and so on during their last term. Um, it meant that it, it, COVID yeah. kind of uh, it, it blew up a little bit, but look, um, yeah. So definitely, it had its ups and downs, and um, yeah. But it's that that was the the progression of the virus, and and you would have been there when it all started opening up again. Yes, yeah, I was. I remember remember it quite quite vividly. What did you, you know, do? That would have been that would have been amazing after all those months in lockdown. It was it was it was amazing. I th- I think we went to the turf. I think I went to the turf with some of my my housemates. The turf tavern. That's that's the pub where I think Bob Hawke bro- broke the world record for <laughs> sculling a yard of ale. Yes, and uh, I think we went there and, and had had. Did you um, follow in his footsteps? No, <laughs> I'm not even sure they serve yard, yard glasses anymore. And I don't, I don't think I could it would be anywhere near 11 seconds. But <laughs> I think I'd think I'd embarrass myself. But um, no, but they were really. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think we, we, we went to the Turf Tavern and uh, yeah, just a, f- a few little mundane things as well because with, with all the shops being shut and, um, you know, just picking up s- some extra clothes and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, just which sounds super mundane, but uh, yeah, you, f- you kind of forget how disruptive everything shut is um, when, it, when it's going on. And now, you, now you're back home and uh, Australia seems to be, um, hopefully fingers crossed getting on top of it as much as you can but the the vaccination rates are certainly heading in the right direction what's um so what's what are your impressions of of adelaide now um now that you're back yeah so it it, it is quite surreal being being in uh i guess like adelaide at the moment you know they're not currently aware of any community transmission and it's been like that for 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 some time you know Mm. there's been a couple of clusters 
um, especially having being from coming from the UK back to back to an area that's almost like um, almost free of the virus like that. It's it, it is it is really strange. You know, I think um, it's in a bit of a I think. Uh, South Australia, West Australia, Queensland, Northern Territory, Tasmania, they're, they're in a bit of an interesting situation now because obviously, you know, there's, there's many families which are split between states and especially mm. with the biggest states. Mm. Um, and so everyone wants to see each other again for Christmas and so on and so forth. Yeah, but, but at the same time, um, keeping the virus out saves lives. But I think, I think people are gradually understanding now that, you know, and hopefully, especially the numbers in Sydney where the vaccination rates are most advanced and in New South Wales, that if the hospital load is manageable, um, and you know the, there's no there's relatively minimal risk of um, overloading the, the health system, that we, we can then open up and, and rejoin the eastern states and the and uh, the international world. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm really I'm hopeful that that, that, that can come soon. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. And so so now that you, now that you're back home, what's the plan? Is there a plan? What are you what are you going to be doing for work? So I, uh, I I used to work at the Australian Energy Market Operator, and mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow I start start a new role at um, at the University of New South Wales, and it's it's also in collaboration with AMO, so I'm kind of split split between those organisations. Um, okay. So, yeah. So essentially, um, so previously at AMO I worked in um, sort of system security analysis, so um, in particular in in an advisory role. Um, so, so as you, as I'm sure everyone's aware, there's lots of uh, rooftop solar going into the national electricity market, and in, in particular in, in everywhere. Yeah. Yes, it, it is everywhere. Yeah, and in, in particular in in South Australia, uh, has a really high penetration of uh, we, we call it DER, distributed energy resources, which mm-hmm. is that rooftop solar. And so, managing the, the grid when there is a really high amount of, of DER is is something that's uh, almost new for, for system operators around the world. You know, so we're talking on a good Sunday in South Australia, uh, rooftop solar can be sort of in excess of 80% of the, of the state's electricity demand, mm. which is which is really phenomenal. However, I guess like if you think about the, the old school power system, so say if we were to go back, back in time, sort of 15 years ago in South Australia, um, maybe eight or nine gas, gas or coal units would sort of be operating simultaneously to meet the state's demand. Yeah, and then so if if the if the uh, the energy market had a had a significant stress event, so say South Australia were to put a disconnect from um, from Victoria, which does happen during um, you know extreme weather events, uh, then it would have to operate independently. Mm-hmm. And so in particular, so I was doing some uh, analysis around. Okay, so in the past we would sort of be eight or nine units operating together in South Australia. And then if an individual unit tripped in that electrical island, it was relatively straightforward for the other seven or eight units to, to ramp up and correct the imbalance in supply and demand, if that yes. makes sense. Yep. So, yeah, so then, but fast forward to today, and okay, if that same separation event were to happen, there might only be 80% of the demand might be met by rooftop solar. So that means mm. that there might only be sort of, say, say three conventional generators online in South Australia. And and it's a lot harder for, for three generators to spot um to spot two to spot each other in the way that um eight or nine could in that yeah, sort okay. of electrical system. Yeah. So yeah, so that's so in particular how do we quantify the benefits of new technologies such as like the grid scale the grid scale batteries that are in operation in South Australia. Um yeah, and then also uh also a technology called um synchronous condensers, uh which also helps sort of slow down 
the grid and, and give it more time to respond when there are significant disturbances. So what was it that made you interested uh, in, in this area? Uh, so I, I guess, I think living uh, in South Australia during, during a, a little blackout event of a little blackout event. <laughs> if, uh, if, I if think everyone like, remembers that yes, little blackout yeah, event. Yeah, everyone kind of remembers where, where they were and so on. Um, yeah, so I think that definitely that was a, oh, wow, that was a, definitely a, a big moment in, in South Australia. Um, yeah, I, I think that in particular sort of spurred a lot more, a lot more interest in energy from, from myself personally. No, I was. Yeah. I, th- I think gro- growing up, I was always interested in um, longer term ar- around climate change and how are we going to source our energy and, and and so on and so forth. But that kind of made me realize there's also system security problems that people um, mm. don't fully understand. And um, yeah, so in, in particular as well, some of the some of the policy decisions um, from from like the, the the state government and some of the rhetoric from the mm-hmm. federal government around there was also really interesting to watch. So, like, at least from from the state government's perspective, that uh, they 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 spent um, tens of millions of dollars on the um, the Hornsdale Energy Reserves. That's the, the big grid scale battery. And I think think you might recall the tweets between like Elon Musk and Mike Cannon Brooks. And yes, so on. yes, yeah. I do. So, 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 and 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 that um, that particular asset has been a has been a commercial success, and it's kind of paved the way for lots of other uh, grid scale uh, energy storage and um, other technologies that can provide. What we call fast frequency response, that can kick in really quickly um, and sort of spot other other units that are generating. However, they also spent um, quite a lot of money. I think it's um, I think it's two hundred fifty million dollars on these um, sort of uh, diesel generators that, that kind of came in shipping containers, and I think they were turned on once or something before they were then resold by the next government. So you can kind of so energy is just energy policy. It's a lot of money can be spent really quickly and in particular if there's not a real understanding of the issues at stake it can be spent uh completely fruitless suboptimally so, yes yeah so um have you got a have you got a view on um how both the south australian government and and the and the commonwealth are are faring in relation to energy policy yeah so, so i think in in terms of well in in terms of the um the, the labor government at, at, a, at a state level um Personally, yeah. So I think, like I've already kind of uh, mentioned, Hornsdale in particular was was a goal. I think that that um, that was a good technology, and I think that everyone's kind of happy that that's installed <laughs> in the grid, and it, it provides yes. a good role in our system security. Mm-hmm. Um, the decision to purchase the, the the diesel generators, I think, probably in hindsight, probably probably not, not so a good much. idea. Yeah, um, yeah. And then the, um, the 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 current state government, um, yeah, has been pushing ahead with um, sort of managing um, managing uh, vast quantities of rooftop solar and they've been quite active in sort of engaging with uh, AEMO and other stakeholders that's the Australian energy market operator on yes. um, on, on what needs to be done to manage um, to manage vast quantities of, of renewable energy so I think that that's that's a, that's a tick, tick for them and I also um, I also understand that they support the uh, South Australia New South Wales interconnector and had supported that project, that proposal, um, which I also, personally, I also think that's a very um, important piece of infrastructure. Um, so, so that's on the state level. Um, federally, yeah, I, I guess <laughs> federal energy policy has been, yeah, federal energy yes. policies. Yes. Federal energy, yeah, um, federal energy policies change a lot um, without putting too fine a point on it. 
recently. Um, I think that they're... You're being very diplomatic here, yeah. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's yeah. okay. No, I, I think like that there are good projects like Snowy Hydro 2.0, I think will be very important in terms of um, energy storage and, and sort of soaking up demand during the middle of the day when we're seeing a lot of pricing events that or negative pricing events in, in the NEM. So proposals like that, I think are good. And then we'll, we'll kind of we'll kind of see what happens. I think that there is still a big question mark around what the energy system is going to look like in, in 10 years time. And uh, yeah, I think I would like to see the federal government um, continue to engage with stakeholders and so on. So what was it that made you um, go for the scholarship through the John Monash Foundation? And why did you choose Oxford University? Well, I had a really incredible tutor at the University of Adelaide in my, in my first year, and her name was Kelly, and uh, yeah, for, for mathematics. And uh, and she she was going off to do a PhD at Oxford, or as, as I say in Oxford, a DPhil. Um, mm. And uh, so I, I was in Europe for a um, for a conference in in 2017, and I, I knew I was thinking about further study. And mm-hmm. uh, at, at the time, you know, I knew, knew my grades were, were okay and so on. And so I thought, well, you know, what, why don't I go go to Oxford? Yeah, that, that's right. And sort of have a chat with with Kelly. And she was, uh, yeah, she, so she, she she met up with me and, you know, spent a lot of days. It was right at the heart of summer in 2017, which was maybe a little bit uh, not quite realistic in terms of <laughs> in terms of uh, what the UK would be like for the whole year. But um, but yeah, Oxford in, in the summer, it was just yeah, everything was uh, it was a very it's a very walkable city. Um, you know, all the, all the plants were, were blooming. Um, Kelly showed me around the Mathematical Institute, you know, and it's just, it's a beautiful institute. I can't, I honestly can't really, I can't think of too many ways how you would improve an environment to do and ask questions and learn mathematics like that. Like there's, hmm. um, in, in terms of the, the caliber of the people that, you, that are walking around, you can have conversations with and play, heck, play football or soccer with if, you, if you'd like to. Um, table soccer. You can do soccer. everything. Yeah. It, and, you know, there's, um, there's like like when I was in Oxford, you know, Rod, Roger Penrose was walking around. He was awarded his, his Nobel Nobel Prize and was interviewed by the BBC like ten meters away from our room. Um, you know, a- Andrew Wiles, like you know, arguably um, very famous mathematician, so solved uh, proved Fermat's last theorem. You know, some people think it's one of the greatest mathematical achievements to happen this 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 millennium to date. Um, he's just walking around, you know, having lunch outside and. Um, it was quite funny. One of one of my course mates, um, and this is in, in towards the end of our time there. Um, he goes up to Mr. Wiles, and the proof itself is famously, it's, it's 200 pages, I think it's almost 200 pages long, and you need many, many, many years of study in number theory to sort of understand what's going on. And my yeah. course mate just kind of uh, come, comes up to him, and he was like, oh, hi, hi, Andrew, you know, I'm a big fan. Um, he's like, are you able to just give me a quick run through of, of your proof? Kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> and Andrew Wiles, right. Andrew Wiles, where should yeah, I start? Yeah, Andrew, I was just kind of laughed and so on, and um, but yeah, it's like I had, I had lectures there, and uh, I remember in in first time I didn't quite understand um, the concept of uh, that was being introduced in one of these lectures, so I went to the Wikipedia page for for the concept, as most students do, and uh, mm-hmm. and sixty percent of the, the the references in the Wikipedia page, in the Wikipedia page, were from uh, the textbook that was being that was written by the lecturer. You know what I mean? So you really are. Uh, just the, the caliber of, of, of the mathematics. They're on the is, front line of learning. Yes, it's just it's just incredible. Like, uh, another another anecdote. So I remember being in a lecture hall and there's a, there was a picture of um and it was like the first equal sign uh written ever and it was a, pic- a picture of that you know from, from I think it was from the 13th century or something like that um you know and that that book where someone first wrote an equal sign um 
you know, is, is in the Bodleian Library some, somewhere in Oxford and you kind of, you kind of step back for a minute and you go, you go, oh my Lord, like how, how did people do mathematics without an equal sign for, uh, <laughs> for, for 1200 mm. years? It's just, uh, yeah. So the, the, the caliber of the education was exceptional. Um, yeah, Ke- Kelly, uh, my, my tutor at Adelaide really promoted it. She spoke very highly of it. Um, so it just seemed, it, it just seemed like a, like an incredible environment. So that's uh, that and, was what led and, me to this. Yeah, and you, and you got you got the scholarship. And and what did you what did you do? It was it's a master's of science in mathematical modeling and scientific computing, according to my notes. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So it's so it's a, it's applied mathematics um, masters. So the, at the Maths Institute, the teaching is kind of divided between a, a, a sort of applied maths and, and pure maths. And um, so it's all about. I guess the philosophy of the course can be described by. Okay, if if there's a problem or a phenomenon that we want to understand and model, how do we go about modeling? Um, how do we go about building a mathematical model for that? How do we go about then solving that model using like um, pro- pro- probably numerical techniques and sort of understanding and interpreting the results? And mm. so uh, so we we did all, all we studied all kinds of systems. So like uh, invasive sque- invasive um, invasive species mo- models, for instance, uh, different squirrel populations in the UK. Um, tumor growth modeling. Uh, yeah, I did an assignment on um, epidemiology, so in particular on, on rubella and the rollout of the rubella vaccination. Uh, another mm. one on um, different metals cooling within an alloy. Um, just all these really uh, incredible uh, systems. And then, and then my dissertation was on uh, lithium ion batteries. So in particular, the yes. types of batteries, some of the batteries that are used within electric vehicles. And, yep. um, and in particular, in your, around your iPhones. Yes, exactly right. So in particular around, um, so so the thermal management of so keep, keeping them sufficiently cool is very important. Obviously, everyone remembers that the Samsung, uh, Samsung Galaxy. I remember. Yes. yes phenomenon with the exploding phones. And um, yeah, uh, but in, in particular, it's not just safety. It's also the, the efficiency of the, the battery itself. So if a battery um, is, is too hot for too long, it'll begin to degrade, sort of lose its capacity and its peak power output. And uh, so in particular for electric vehicles, that's a really, really critical, you really want to reduce that rate of degradation as much as you can. Because if you've got an electric vehicle battery that's degrading um, very quickly, it means you have to change the batteries. You might have to do that two or three times over the lifetime of the car. And it can completely change the economics about whether or not that's a viable investment for someone. Hmm. So, um, so, so it was an engineering, um, there was an engineering study that was done. And it was, so if you imagine these kind of rectangular, um, these sort of thin rectangular batteries, um, and in particular, the, the study, and it, he basically, um, this engineer, cooled the battery on different um, surfaces. So there were these big, large front and back surfaces, as opposed to these sort of thinner side surfaces. And just the choice of cooling on the different sides of the battery was found to affect the rate of degradation by a factor, factor of three, which sounds not, what, what does that mean? Or it can mean like a, you know, a, Fifteen or twenty thousand dollar difference in terms of the life cycle cost of ownership for the vehicle. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. so, 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 my dissertation. Yeah, my dissertation looked at uh, sort of examining, well, why why are some faces better than others to cool um, to cool lithium-ion batteries? How do you go about um, managing that the that cooling of the battery and, and building models that can actually simple enough to, to be to be solved and, and and meaningful for engineers and so on. Well, Alex, uh, it's been great catching up with you on the podcast today. Welcome back to Australia. Welcome home, and all the very best uh, for the years ahead. It's been um, it's been a, a real pleasure um, having you join us on the program. So thank you. 
Thank you very much, Justin. It's been a pleasure to be on.